What is going on, brothers and sisters, friends of the Rockney cast? For this episode, we're going to cover Tucker and Don, the recent departure from Fox News and CNN. And we're going to do an exploration on the meaning of it all, who I think is likely going to replace Tucker. And I think I may do a separate episode on them. And we're also going to cover some issues related to the response to both men, um, you know, in terms of why these guys were fired, at least as of this recording, there's been a lot of speculation on why Tucker was fired. As far as I can tell, there's no been concrete information on that. Um, I'm not going to read the tea leaves and kind of guess and say, oh, I think it was because of the lawsuits, or I think it was for this reason or that. We may float a few ideas, but... That's not what I'm going to focus on as it relates to Tucker. Um, as it relates to Don Lemon, Mr. Madman at CNN, uh, the debonair Don Lemon, I'm going to get a little bit into just some issues that I have with Don. I really don't give too much a shit about Don Lemon. I think there's some interesting issues to explore in terms of why he was fired. Because as to Don, I think CNN has been very clear as to why they fired Don, but also some of the response to why he was fired. Because as far as we can tell, one of the last straws was his interview with Vivek Ramaswamy. I, I think that's how to pronounce this guy's name. I kind of like this Vivek dude. He's kind of like the Andrew Yang for the Republican nomination. He has no fucking chance to win. But I think he's kind of using it as a vehicle to say, I was one-time presidential candidate. He's extremely articulate, some really good ideas. So I think Vivek's going to kind of be the, the next Andrew Yang for the Republican primary and probably going to get a little bit of a following on that. Um, I'm also going to be doing a few more podcasts this particular week, so stay tuned. Um, I am going to do another Ukraine um, podcast and it's mainly going to be to really clarify what my position is, um, because I, I don't want it misconstrued, because I'm going to be getting together with a buddy of mine this weekend, and we're going to have a big dialogue. And then I'm going to do a follow-up podcast as to whether my mind was actually changed. But before we have that debate this weekend, I'm going to do a separate podcast to clarify what my position is. And I'm going to promise to you, the listeners, that after having established what my position is, I'm going to do something that most people don't do in the modern world. I'm going to keep an open mind. I'm going to be like Quato in Total Recall. Open your mind, Quato. Open your mind. I am going to keep an open mind. And so primarily, believe it or not, I'm actually going to listen to a good friend of mine's arguments as to why I'm mistaken on Ukraine. And I'm going to report to you, the friends of the Rocky cast, if my mind was actually changed. Because I like to think that I'm a 16th century or 17th century empiricist, which is I have opinions, but they can change. I know that's a radical idea based upon the facts that I observe. So we're going to have a lot of good episodes, and you know, normally I kind of meekly ask at the end of my podcast, if you enjoyed this podcast, and if you're here this long, please refer it to friends and family and friends and enemies. And I'm telling you up front, tell people about how freaking awesome this is. If you're a dude 
if you're a person with balls, you're going to like this particular podcast. If you don't have any balls and you have a vagina, you might like it. Based upon the, the numbers that I'm getting in my podcast, about 85% dudes. And if you're trans, I have no fucking idea. You may like it or may not. I don't know. Um, so I, you, I, I don't know if it's for trans or not, but you're welcome to the Rockney cast because we welcome all people of all persuasions to the Rockney cast, particularly dudes with balls. Um, that's the primary demographic that we're trying to focus on. So let's get back to the topic of the Rockney cast, the um, departure of Don Lemon and Tucker Carlson on the same day. This was as if the media gods, like I'm going to go like burn a goat in like honor to the media gods that have given us this gift. Because this gives us a gift like we're uh, undergraduate students, you know, writing for our first paper. Compare and contrast determinations of Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon. And in support of your answer, provide details as to why they were fired, and what the meaning is it, while making sure your conclusions are supported from um, with evidence. So that's what I'm going to try to do, except you're going to be listening to my college essay question on the meaning of it all. Oh, you're going to learn some goddamn things, and you're going to, you're going to start referring people for once. But you people who listen to this thing, refer it to this audience. My record so far is like 1,200 listens. That's pretty good. Average is about 50, but, you know, I'm not quite there yet. But that's because of you. You people aren't selling a damn podcast. Um, so enough enough, enough microaggression. Um, let's talk a little bit about, um, first of all, these two men and kind of identify what is similar with these two and what's obviously different and I am going to explore what kind of the larger meaning of both of these particular departures means for you, for me, for the world writ large, because they are on the same date, two men, two media companies, two different ideologies. And a lot of people commented on this, but I also kind of want to identify, you know, these men themselves, um, what they what they kind of have in common. Um, and it's not like, oh, can we all just get along? Because I think it is kind of interesting what both men actually share. I think before we get all angry with one another about all these different topics, what are some commonalities that we all share as Americans? Because, you know, one of the reasons why I'm talking a lot about more politics, it, it is kind of this, I guess, maybe it's an ego thing that I think I, I'm pretty good at it. And the other thing, too, is I think we all got to kind of defend our intellectual territory, not only defend it, but also advance it, because I think there's some extraordinarily bad ideas that are out there. And I don't know if I'm going to persuade anyone. I hope I hope we have not come to a, a, a place where no one can ever be persuaded by anything based upon the evidence. I think at some point in the future, I'm going to do a podcast on uh, sports commentator Colin Cowherd and do and focus on his my favorite segment: where he's right and where he's wrong. Um, so yeah, let's talk about what they share in common. First of all, a lot of people have talked about what's next for Tucker and what's next for Don. Um, and I'm not going to get into that. I'm going to focus mainly on what they share in common. Both men are going to be okay, right? Um, Don really can't hold Tucker's gym shorts in terms of numbers, talent, um, ability. Um, but but having said that, 
Um, Tucker's demonstrably better, and it's not because he's conservative. I, I think, for example, John Stewart or the equivalent of John Stewart is on Tucker's level in terms of, and what do I mean by that? Uh, the ability to articulate ideas in a variety of different domains while expressing outrage, but also having a sense of humor. Um, that is kind of key. And so Don Lemon, just by that metric, is not even close to Tucker Carlson. Uh, he just does not have the ability to inspire, to engage, and to make people laugh and consider itself. And it's kind of last swan song with Vivek Ramaswamy um, sort of demonstrated that, that people are just sick of that kind of ideology. And we'll get into a little bit in terms of why that's so important. But having said that, um, this is like comparing, you know, who's a better NBA basketball, you know, uh, Michael Jordan or like Sidney Moncrief from the Milwaukee Bucks, right? Sidney Moncrief, remember him from the 80s? I'm kind of dating myself, but like he was he was a top guy, not one of the best ever, but he's still an NBA player. So Don Lemon, I mean, he's still fucking awesome. I mean, you don't get to that level of broadcasting without some awesome talent. So he obviously is a super talented guy. I'm not saying he's not. I think he was at CNN for about um, 13 years. And it is not because he's gay and it's not because he's black. It's because he's fucking talented. Um, and, he, and, he, and he maintained that position for a lot of years. So he is going to find opportunities. The other thing that they share, both Tucker, they're both good looking. They're both very telegenic. They're going to beat me in the looks contest. That's for sure. Probably a lot of you too. I mean, maybe some of you are like, you look like Antonio Pontaris, but you know they're both very telegenic. They both have uh, talent to, for broadcasting, and they both have large audience. Tucker's dwarfs Don's, but Don's going to find opportunities. You, you're just you can't be that telegenic, and he is engaging. He'll find opportunity. Whether it'll be in the level of CNN, I doubt it. Um, in part because I, I think of a huge weakness that he has, and I think a lot of other people have on the left, that I think is a huge Achilles heel for him, which is this, this kind of like bilious, nasty quality that they have where they, they don't even attempt to win arguments. Um, and they're not very funny. I mean, sense of humor, people, you want to win arguments, a little bit of humor is going to go a hell of a long way. Tucker obviously is going to, I mean, I don't know what he's going to do. People are talking about his own company, whether he's going to be a broadcaster for, you know, Daily Wire. I have no idea, but whatever it's going to be, it's going to be freaking like multi-million dollar contract. It's going to be on the Joe Rogan level. That's how big this particular guy is. And so both of them are going to find opportunity. I mean, this is not, don't feel sorry for Don. This isn't like when, you know, Buck the, Buck the car dealer or the car factory guy gets laid off when he's 55 years old. And he's like, what am I going to do? Survive on government cheese? You know, that's kind of a tragedy when you're when you're making 55 grand and all of a sudden you're like, oh, my God, what the fuck am I going to do? I have no skills. My name's Buck. I'm at the car dealership. I'm on the car factory. I'm not insulting these people, by the way. These are one of the reasons why I'm freaking a Republican now because Buck and Dale and Jim and Joe and Rennie and you know, these, these, these are my guys. Like I, they, these guys are probably smarter than I am. Um, I'm just saying it's, it's, it is sad when they lose their job, 
Um, because, you know, they're not going to get on a job of that magnitude. Both these guys are going to have six-figure jobs somewhere. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if Don is, is going to get any more seven-figure paychecks, but he's going to be making some good coin. He's, he's going to be okay. So it's tough. So um, why am I not going to get into the tea leaves as to why uh, Tucker was fired? I, I I don't really give a shit as to the why. I, I might give a shit as to the why once the reason becomes more clear. Um, but at least at this point, I really don't give a shit why he was fired. Um, if I had to hazard a guess, um, given the fact that he's been so fucking silent, um, I think it's probably way, it's not the lawsuits. It's not that he has said a lot of, you know, intense things, you know, where he comments on Black Lives Matter and these sorts of things. Given the fact that he's remained silent, um, either they've given him an enormous payoff um, to try to kind of keep, uh, and that is a possibility, they just gave him this huge payoff, like even more than what his contract called for, uh, to sort of keep him silent, or there's some deep, dark shit that was fine. I, I have no idea. I, I hope that's not the case, but, you know, usually when people are like, you know, a four-sentence description as to what happened, it's probably not, it's probably worse than what we've heard. So I, I, I don't know idea, but what I can comment is, so I'm not going to speculate on that. But what I can comment in is I think uh, two responses to Tucker Carlson um, that I, I just can't stand. And if you want to know more than any other reason why I am firmly in the Republican camp now, it is this. It is not that the Republicans are right on everything, obviously. I mean, I think in part, it's just because of the pragmatic reality that we find ourselves in, which is we have two parties. Obviously, you, you can't, we, we're never going to, Ross Perot tried the third party. Um, even Trump explored the Reform Party in the late 90s. It's just likely not going to happen just because of the logistics of setting up a third party. Um, it's just not going to happen. So we have two to pick from. We have Democrats and we have Republicans. And within those groups, there are huge variations of, of ideologies and facts and these sorts of things. So in terms of me being the Republican Party now, it has nothing to do that they're right in everything. If anything, I am going to do an episode on Paul Ryan, Mitt Romney. I, I still think those guys are fucking losers and they only need to look at themselves. Like I'm going I'm to be hard on Paul, even though I'm sure if I met him, he'd be really nice. Like I'm, I actually have a friend who kind of knew Paul Ryan, like, not Paul, but he kind of knew his like girlfriend. And like Paul was one of those guys that like wore collars and never had a beer, like even when he was in high school and he stayed that way like forever, um, which I think is part of the problem with Paul Ryan. Uh, so I am going to bash Paul. I'm going I'm to bash plenty of Republicans. So if you think I'm going to be one of those people like, eh, the Republican Party, you're always right. I think that there, you know, there's a lot of bad policy in the Republican Party right now. And I, and I think like with the national, um, you know, tactics in terms of the debt ceiling, it's enormously stupid. I think they have a they have a tin ear certain things, but I am having said all of those things, I'm firmly the Republican Party. And here's why, as it applies to the response to Tucker Carlson. Tucker, what is he? Okay, what is he? he's an intellectual storyteller, um, provocateur. Um, polemicist. He makes his living being funny, being interesting, 
and engaging in robust debate on various social political topics, cultural topics, and economic topics, topics of the day. Things that affect all of us, immigration policy, tax policy, these sort of, he makes arguments. And in response to those arguments, uh, what, what you've seen, I've seen this on my Facebook thread and um, throughout various responses, two things always come up with, with Tucker. Uh, and, and it's so often, it's like the, the two arguments that are that are in the left's toolbox, especially as the ones that, that graduate from college, um, because it's it's something in college, and I think your college needs to own up to their shit. Um, I don't know, for whatever reason, an alarming number of college kids thinks the best way to attack an argument is to yell, racist and misogynist. Those are the two things. That's it. Racist, misogynist. And the other thing they'll say is dog whistle. That's the worst. That's like, if you're a dog whistle, what you're doing is, is you're saying things that you don't really believe and you're using it to mask your secret, malevolent racism. That is what you're doing, even though you know what's going inside your head. And in fact, that has nothing to do with what you actually think yet. That dog whistle, that is what is happening. And so, yeah. So in the response to Tucker, and I've, I, I, I really don't, I've never, I, I don't watch cable a lot. So a lot of you think that I'm, I'm Republican now because I watch Fox News and I'm like, oh my God, I heard it on Fox News. So my mind has been changed. I'm going to become a Republican now because I heard it on Fox News. Actually, I don't watch Fox News that much. I do watch Tucker Bits um, primarily on YouTube. And, I, you know, sometimes I'm just like, you know what, Tucker, I need to tune out. Like, I don't need to know everything and be outraged all the time. So, uh, but I, I've listened to his segments. And why is he so popular? Uh, I think it's something that he shares. You know, people talk about whether he's going to run for office. I don't think he's going to because I don't think he's rich enough at this point. He doesn't quite yet have fuck you money uh, because he's going to be, I mean, he's literally his whole family now because the left cannot win on debate. They cannot do it. So the tactics that they use are threats, violence. And if you look at the actual track record of who's being attacked and who's being assaulted, they send mobs after people and they insult people. I mean, that, that is what they do. They cannot win or will not engage in debate. And so I listen to Tucker Carlson and just tune in um, and see whether he is an out and out racist. Is he make, has he ever made a claim and so, and let's define racism because that's a horrible thing to accuse someone of. It between being a racist and being accused of being a pedophile, like which is worse? Like, I, I would rather be accused of being a racist than a pedophile. I, I mean, that is worse, but um, or than a, a Nazi. I don't know. It's like, what is one of the worst things that you can be accused of is being called a racist. And I've looked at, and let's define what we mean by, here's how I define the racist, okay? I define a racist is someone who, before they know someone, okay, before they've engaged with someone, 
makes a categorical negative assumption about the biological inferiority of that person without testing them, without talking to them, without engaging with them. And it's coupled with a hate, right? So they hate particular people of a certain skin color. And not only they hate them, they openly espouse that. Now, of course, there can be silent racism, but that's what I mean by it. And I have never heard. Uh, so then the question is, why do they call Tucker a racist? And by implication, everyone who thinks Tucker is a fun, interesting, and engaging guy. So, I mean, so for example, I mean, if if you when you call Tucker a racist, and if you have a mother, a father, in this case, moi, watches him. Uh, you and you call that person a racist, you are by implication, and this is not a stretch because I think it is accurate. Like, if you tune into like, you know, uh, uh, Bull Connor Radio, where we hate all black people as we're growing audience one step at a time, well, damn it, you are a racist. I mean, if you listen to that, I mean, that's a fair inference. And so that is what's happening. And that's why I am doing more politics, because what I am trying to do for you is to open. I've experienced a lot of negativity in my life internally, locally. I've been in politics. I'm not any famous person, but I've, I've had my name on the front page of a paper, you know, based upon half truths and lies. And I've experienced political retaliation. So I'm not saying I'm like freaking like, oh, yeah, I'm, a, I'm like freaking Huey Long. I've been through every political battle. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to open a space where these ideas can be expressed. And I'm going to do that because I don't really give a fuck what anyone thinks, I think. And I don't care if they get, call me a racist or I don't care um, if they call me a misogynist for simply expressing my views because I am... The farthest thing from any one of those two things, but what I what I will vigorously do, and I will protect anyone out there that is in this situation. I mean, part of it is I, I hear conservatives on campus like, "Oh, my professor, you're liberal, and you know I didn't get a good grade because I'm conservative." Oh, yeah, maybe, or maybe just wrote a really shitty paper, and it could could be that too. But like, also, well, then you don't have the balls to stand up for yourself in class. Or in the college campus. And I know that you kind of have to pick your battles. You just want to get your degree and you want to go back to, you know, Watoma or whatever little town you're from or from Des Moines and, you know, live with Jane and some generic chemical drench. I don't, I don't care what you do. So I, I get why you don't always engage, but some of it is just kind of fear. Um, and so I'm going to respond to that. And I've looked at Tucker's arguments and I've looked at what he's done. And I don't see uh, racism as I've defined it. Now, uh, has he spoken things, made negative claims about certain elements, for example, of Black Lives Matter? Yeah, he has. Uh, but does that make you a run? That, to me, is the one thing. You know, my favorite philosopher, he's a radical leftist, actually, at least he says he is, and communist, Slavoj Zizek says the greatest sign of self-respect for someone that you can give to someone is to subject them to ruthless criticism on the merits of their ideas, that you respect that person enough that you can tell them where they're where they're wrong, and you can do that in a way in which you're attacking the idea and not the person. 
The left has never learned that argument. And if Tucker says a negative thing about, let's say, so for example, uh, there were um, people who totally supported peaceful protests, but then said Black Lives Matter were mostly peaceful in some of their protests. As far as I can tell, they weren't. Um, there were some during the day, but there was also a lot of rioting, looting, mobs going around to people's houses, um, and they and they weren't. And you have a right to say if someone happens to be black and they're protesting, you have a right to you know it's one thing to say that they're just sort of engaging in John Lewis. You know, when we talk about like good trouble in the South. Well, he was wearing his tie. I mean, engaging in ideas. That's what MLK was doing. Um, but yeah, if someone's burning down a police station and you're calling that peaceful, you're doing violence to the English language. And if you're calling someone racist because you're saying like, um, I don't like um, my um, police stations to be burned down by black people or people who support black people, um, that doesn't make you a racist that makes you a normal human being. And these are the sorts of things that Tucker would call out. Or if a ton of people gave money to Black Lives Matter and an investigation was done that it was not used um, to identify and to help out working class Black people and instead was used to line the pocket, if, if that is established to be true, it's fair to answer or ask, what are they doing with the money? And that's the greatest sign of respect uh, that you can give someone. And I never saw that. And yet that's the only argument. Tucker's a racist. Well, what? So, and the other thing too, in terms of this double standard that I think on the left, that I think is kind of kind of vile, is this notion that all white people are racist. And they openly say that. So what are you doing? You're making a broad categorical conclusion about one large group of people who is by no means uniform based upon the color of their skin. And if you listen to a lot of loser leftists, you know what their response is? Yeah, that's right. I'm racist. I can't help my racism. The only thing you can say is, I'm going to shut up and I'm going to just basically say that my whole culture fucking sucks. It's, it's garbage. I wish I weren't white. I wish I could be black. But then I can't culturally appropriate blackness. So I, I, I want to be black. I wish I could be black. I wish I could be white. I hate my white skin. I, I don't know what to do. So they just sit silent and they just they just take it. And to me, Tucker did not take it. And I think that's why people like Tucker. That's why they like Trump. It's not because of his policies as such, but it's just that he stands up for his ideas and I'm willing to give it back and take it back and not listen to lectures by people like Mitt Romney and David Brooks and Paul Ryan as to what they should be saying. And, and they're willing to actually fucking go into political combat and fight. And he was willing to stand up to do that. And he's not dead. He is going to participate in some form and he's going to still be back in the cultural wars, but he is under constant attack. Because the left does not like debate. They hate debate. And I think one thing that I think is just unquestionably true is that Republicans, I think you look, you look at like Young Americans for Freedom and, and a lot of the libertarians that I know are not afraid of a good debate. And you don't see Republicans out there 
you know, uh, pepper spraying people and demanding that no one speak their mind and and protesting against uh, uh, peaceful protests, you know, burning things up. There's just claims that you do, but I, I haven't seen it. Uh, and if there are uh, riots of, you know, people that are Republicans that are going burning stuff down uh, and shutting down debates on college campuses, then then kind of let me know. Um, you know, you've, they've talked about, oh, Republicans ban bucks. Well, again, that, that's it's just that's just factually inaccurate. They do not ban books. They have the unequivocal control to set state educational policy. And what they are doing is, is prescribing educational curriculum that should be followed by employees of state institutions in, um, in the libraries that are there. And they absolutely have that power. That is cultural curriculum choosing. It is not banning books. And that is the right of the state to do. And they do not have the right to ban any book um, outside of class. So yeah, I would freaking march in the street if Republicans were at, but they're, but they're not. So Tucker did that and he stood up for it. And the result of that, he has had mobs show outside of his house. I'm sure he gets threatened all of the time. Um, he has labeled a racist. Um, I know this woman who is claiming this new lawsuit uh, by a Miss Goldberg has claimed that he's a misogynist based upon texts on his cell phone and these sorts of things. And here it's where it's just like, you know, men need to stand up and fight back against this bullshit because setting aside what's on his phone, I'm not here to defund that or not, but but men, I don't care if it's in the Marines or it's on a football team, men are freaking men and there are hardwired instincts to bond because men, when shit comes to, you know, shit hits the fan, you want fucking dudes on your front line and you want a brotherhood and you want tough guys that are bonded. And that I complained to evolution. This is how we evolved to bond as brothers so that we can fight to protect you. And, um, you know, a lot of the people that hate the police, they, they will not hesitate to call the police if they're ever under assault. Trust me, that is accurate. The other thing that is lodged against Tucker, and to be fair, this has also been lodged against Don Lemon, is this is this it's this term that they're misogynist, that they hate women. Now Don is gay, uh, and so I mean that doesn't change the opinion at all for me. That there can be a, a man that loves other men that doesn't hate women, and there can be a guy that is engaged in heterosexual relationships that obviously doesn't hate women. But yet, this term misogyny has been thrown at both Tucker and Don. And I'm going to defend Don here. Uh, it's total bullshit. Because that has been identified not as, you know, kind of the, the last cause, sort of the cause, in fact, the, the thing that tipped the scale was this debate that he had with Vivek Ramaswamy about um, cultural history um, post-Civil War. But then afterwards, people have said the reason why Don was really uh, fired was because he was a misogynist and he hated women. And as far as I can tell, um, what is identified for reason why he hates women, that he's he's kind of a prima donna, prima donna 
Um, he's demanding in the workplace. He tells people what to do. He's super candid. Well, welcome to the world of being a, a leader, <laughs> being a dude. You just get, you know, it's like criticizing the lion for being a little violent as he gets to pray for the pride. I mean, it, it, you know, it, it, this is what you do. And yeah, you do, you, you know, there are limits to that. Obviously, it can't be like, hey, in order to win, I, you have to, you know, whatever. You got to lock, you got to lock, you know, in order to get this promotion, you got to suck a cock or something like that. No, that, that's fucking sick. And that is, again, I, I would totally support um, you know, that that's what sexual harassment it's designed for. Or you have some working mom all of a sudden gets proposition. That's what it's about. And yes, with humor, um, you know, when there are workplaces where you have public expressions of stuff, I mean, come on, grow the hell up. There's a public realm and that includes the workplace and there's a private realm. And so when Tucker is engaging in text and these sorts of things, this is a private realm that does not in any way reflect on his character um globally and so these accusations against don in my view are total bullshit and as some commentators i think matt walsh indicated this is a classic case of the left eating its own and it's one of these reasons that you know if, if you ac occupy this space there's a way that you can kind of engage in a holding pattern uh, before you get attacked but it's it's inevitable that yeah you can stay silent now but eventually they're gonna fucking attack you like you're a hyena like you're surrounded by hyenas because silence now is not an option right so they require affirmative loyalty oaths right that if you don't affirmatively speak out and reject and agree with me then you yourself are racist so talk about compelled speech. This is what you see. And if any of you have lived in an area where um, they demand loyalty to these pathetic ideologies rather than debate, because they don't have the guts, the instincts to engage in debate about these particular topics. And so Ron, I think Don was unfairly attacked for misogyny. Because as far as I can tell, misogyny is one of the greatest uh, first of all, for a true misogynist, as far as I can tell, this means that you see a woman with tits and a vagina and you you hate them no matter what. Like you can't stand them. Um, that's a misogynist. I mean, most men are not misogynists. If you're a cisgender dude, trust me, you are not misogynist. Like you love, you love everything about women. I mean, you love your sexual partners, you love or partner. You love your mom, you love your sisters, you know, sometimes with your wife, you know, you do love them, but, you know, they kick your ass, you know, but you love these people. I mean, you love your grandma. I mean, come on, who doesn't love their mom and who doesn't love their partner? Who doesn't love their daughter? This is, these are ridiculous arguments. But yet, if you go to a college campus, you see the word misogyny. Everyone knows what a misogynist is. Well, I got a question for you. Um, this, this is a large problem with um, college education now. What is a definition for a woman who hates a man? Class, what is the definition for a woman who hates men categorically? Do you know the term? The opposite of misogyny? And no, it's not butch feminist. You know, some of you are like, is it butch feminist? No. 
It's not the word, class. It is misandrist. That's, a, that's how you define a woman who hates all men. And yeah, we've all kind of experienced some of these women, but we don't know what the word, because men don't do that. We are people who like to engage, and there's a lot of women too, that like to engage in debate. That's all we're saying. But a lot of the college campuses, I don't care if it's the University of Iowa, Harvard, and Yale, I mean, they're so fucked up that they can't even tolerate a debate on whether Leah Thomas, this guy with balls, is allowed to participate in women's swimming. Now, I uh, let's say 100 years from now, we like make predictions that it turns out that people that want to push the pause button on this are, you know, uh, are wrong. Like there's just, there ends up being a hundred years of data. It turns out that it hardly ever happens and there's no competitive advantage. And even if there is a competitive advantage, there's just aren't a lot of self-respecting men that are going to put on a skirt and try to compete with women. Like I, I never do that. Like right now, I haven't thrown a shot put in like 30 years. I could probably win state in high school for women. I, I probably could. It's like an eight pound ball. It's not because I'm any great athlete, because I'm a dude. We have advantages. Now we have other disadvantages too. You know, it's like, oh, I mean, I'll get into some of those. But I literally did not know what that word was. And I'm pretty good with words. Like I know a lot of freaking words. I know words like lugubrious and iliomuncinary and cosmonious and a lot of good $5 words. But I did not know what misandry was. And it's because for the most part, um, dudes are interested in ideas and women are too, but it's, there, there's no like masculinist class. Think about this at university. I think there might be a few men's studies classes, there might be some sociologists that are interested in men's, but who says, oh, there's a masculinist? No. So this feminism, I, I, I love it at its original idea, but this notion that, ooh, feminist, that, that's all over the place. How many masculinists do you know? I, I don't know. And I didn't even know the word for misandry, which is women who hate men. And this kind of shit is so pronounced now that even they're attacking Don Lemon just because he didn't like, you know, go along with whatever was, was, was said. And so... Um, so for Don, I'm sure Don's a nice enough guy. I think he's probably like an arrogant asshole, but in this case, I defend him. Now, let's get to the final topic and talk about uh, the last sort of straw that broke, broke the camel's back, as it were, his little conflict with Vivek Ramaswamy. I'm going to attack Ro Khanna here because um, Ro said a real dumbass thing. You know, I used to be a Bernie guy, but I am so not Bernie now. And it's not necessarily because of Bernie's economic policies. We'll get into that. I'm an AOC. I'm not, I'm not pro AOC. I am not. Ro was kind of like one of the last Bernie people that I'm like, eh, he might be kind of reasonable. But he said something really dumb. So I'm going to bash Ro a little bit here. So what is the, what was kind of the cause and fact of Don Lemon's termination. Well, he was debating Vivek Ramaswamy, who I had no idea who Vivek Ramaswamy was. I, I thought he was just like some dude. And, but he's some dude running for president. 
So, and he's very articulate. Uh, he's an entrepreneur, uh, very engaging, telegenic. His, his teeth look really white on TV. So he has, apparently has a good dentist. And he's pretty much like, mofos, I'm going to go on any, I'm going to go on any, any media, including CNN. I'll, I'll, I'll appeal, appear on communist TV if need be. I, he, he is not afraid of a debate. And this is what I've seen, whether it's Matt Walsh, Dinesh D'Souza, Vivek Ramaswamy, um, Ben Shapiro, they're willing to have these debates and they don't yell at you or hate you or whatever if you disagree with them, like so many people on the left. But so he goes on with Don Lemon and he gets into this discussion about the civil rights of black people. And in particular, he's not focusing on the civil rights movement of the 1960s, which is what kind of all inspired us. It's one of the reasons why. Um, to the extent uh, I, there are still elements of the Democratic Party that I like, uh, you know, the civil rights movement in the 60s was very inspiring. You know, you get John Lewis and MLK and Maynard Rustin and, you know, who was the guy in uh, uh, Birmingham wrote a book called, uh, uh, I think, Fred Shuttleworth, maybe, um, who was... Um, wrote a great book recommendation that was given to me by the mayor of Birmingham called The Fire That Couldn't Be Put Out. It's another inspiring figure. And that was one of the reasons why I for so long referred to myself as a progressive was because of the position on race, right? No, but so Vivek was talking about a, an earlier civil rights movement, so that, which I find kind of interesting. I think a lot of the problems we're dealing with today uh, arise from this period post-Civil War um, called Reconstruction, which for any people that are interested in the Civil War, like all like the guys with pot bellies that tour the battlefields and the love shall be foot, they're focused on the Civil War, which of course is important because that's how we won the war and eradicated slavery, right? But then after we eradicated slavery, the United States had this huge thing, like, well, what do we do? You know, there's 5 million people who were not allowed to read and write and were kept in bondage for 300 years in the United States and, you know, maybe longer than that when they were in Africa. I mean, it was this evil institute. What do you do? And then what made it worse is in this first four years post-Civil War, this is called Reconstruction. And so the for students of history who love the Civil War, Reconstruction, it kind of, people were kind of like, yeah, it's just really boring. It's kind of boring, you know, Reconstruction. It's kind of like the boring... It's even worse than like after a Marvel movie where you see those two little, it's even worse. It's like, people are like ah, it's not really that interesting. We're interested in the Civil War and the North won the Civil War. And, you know, that's kind of where everyone's interested in. But for people that I think, especially with a lot of re-emerging interest in my man crush, U.S. Grant, who I'm ranking among the top five presidents of United States history. I love, I, I'm an ideologue on Grant. If you can accuse me of being any two types of Republican right now, you really want to know what Cole thinks. Well, there'd be three leaders, Lincoln, Grant, and Roosevelt. I am that kind of Republican. If you want to put your finger on exactly what I think on most topics, it would be those three men. Chick, sorry, and... I haven't really found maybe some social worker, maybe Hall House. If she's, was she Republican? I have no idea. Uh, Mary Hall or whatever the person that founded Hall, Hall House or Hall House, whatever it's called in Chicago. I don't know. But, uh, and if there are some great, you know, women Republicans, there's some good women. Christine Todd Women was a great Republican from New Jersey. I'm, so I, I really don't know what she thinks. But anyway, 
Vivek gets into this debate with Don Lemon about reconstruction, which now people know is an interesting area of uh, post-Civil War, um, because it's really where uh, we get into, okay, what are the civil rights of Black people going to look like? And what, how are we going to integrate them into the opportunity and promise that was beholden or, or set forth in the Declaration of Independence and consecrated by the U.S. Constitution with that little ignominious interlude of the Articles of Confederation? How do we incorporate them into that Bill of Rights such that they can fully participate in this great experiment we call America? Well, that's where we tried to implement Reconstruction. And parts of it were very successful, um, and parts of it were not. And one of the biggest problems with Reconstruction, I'll give you a little history lesson, was that the person implementing Reconstruction was a slaveholder, mediocre politician. His name was Andrew Johnson. And the only reason why Lincoln uh, picked Johnson was not because he was a very talented people person, not because he was great on civil rights, um, not because he had any great political skill. It was because he was one of the few people left standing in the South in a seated um, state who was a staunch unionist in Tennessee. And so he was picked as part of like a unity platform to ensure that the unionists in the states like Kentucky, um, Maryland, Delaware were believing like, hey, we got we got one of our guys that I think we can support this Lincoln guy as long as we have enough of like a so. But then after Lincoln was assassinated, he had Andrew Johnson that was in charge of Reconstruction. And he's a Southerner. And he's a slaveholder. Or was a slaveholder. Of course, he didn't have any slaves at that point. And so he then systematically starts undermining a lot of the key victories that were achieved on the battlefield. He immediately starts undermining and unraveling a lot of these hard part civil rights. Grant comes in and reasserts what it was supposed to be about in 1869 and really implements a lot of the first meaningful civil rights statutes for people of color that was given, including as identified by Vivek Ramaswamy, was the right to bear arms. Um, and so he was, so Ramek is a student of history. And I, this is a topic that I don't know a ton about. So I have really no idea. It's kind of an esoteric topic, um, you know, for, for, for gun nuts, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's important. But I, I think frankly, the Republicans, I wish they would spend less time on the second amendment and more time on, um, you know, I think just basic public order and decency and what the goal of the country is to stand up for America, protect our public places, protect our, the right to a family and protect traditional institutions. Well, at the same time, acknowledging that as long as the bohemian lifestyles and those things don't unnecessarily intrude on those institutions, they can do what they want to do because we're America, right? That is the that is sort of the quintessence of what I think the Republicans should be focusing on. But Vivek, trying to win the Republican primary, is focusing on post-Civil War, civil rights, including the right to bear arms. And he's engaging in discussion with Don Lemon, who is Black. Right? So this, and, you know, he gets, and so he pulls out, for example, that one of the linchpins of the Dred Scott decision in which the United States Supreme Court did not recognize the personhood of Black people, and which many people think led to the Civil War, because if you acknowledge them as persons, then they'd have a right to possess and bear arms, which the originalists love because that basically shows that, hey, even though it's not one of the founding fathers, it's close thereafter. 
and that this is kind of what they were thinking, that people in the United States get to bear arms. So whether he's right on that, I'm not a constitutional scholar, but he was having a discussion with Don Lemon. So Don Lemon, who is, you know, kind of an opinion journalist, but in this particular context, the purpose is to interview, um, as far as I can tell, interview Vivek and not debate Vivek. Which is usually what happens when you bring in a candidate on. That doesn't mean that like there are factual errors that you can't ask for clarification, but that's the point of a, of a format like that where a politician comes on, there's two people, and the point is the interview, right? And even if the purpose was debate, well, then that should be set forth and say, hey, I'm Don Lemon. I just, you know, I'm, I'm going to actually engage. Let me just, for our viewers, I just want to let you know that I'm not an unbiased interlocutor here. I am, my purpose is to kind of debate this guy. And then that's all I do. So what does he do uh, rather than debate Vivek Ramaswamy on the civil rights of black people post-Civil War, which I think is an interesting topic that I admit I don't know a lot about, rather than debate him or further ask questions, Don Lemon, oh, Don, 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 engages in a classic example of the left, which is we can't debate anything. We just have, to, you just have to accept that number one, Vivek, you can't debate this topic because you're not an African American even though he was a brown-skinned person from, uh, I think, originally India. I think his parents were. He'd have to been born here in order to run for president. You're not dark enough, and you're not African-American. Therefore, how dare you try to participate in this civil rights issue and lecture me as a person of color when you're not black? So therefore, you can't, you can't, this is one of the rules of the left. You can't talk about Black people, unless you're Black. This is what the professors think. This is what the politicians say. This, this, is, this is what they believe. They do not believe. And if you do, if you have the audacity to do this on a college campus or in private conversation, if you do that, they got one tool. So if they're not, they may show up at your house in a mob and threaten you. Okay? I mean, that, that happens, and I've seen that happen multiple times to people that I know. Okay? Number two, um, they may threaten you physically with violence. Uh, that is something that, that can definitely happen, and you're seeing that with a lot of the trans killers, right? Um, they, they will threaten you. But most commonly on college campuses with these um, so-called intellectuals and their little minions, they will not debate you, but they will call you a... I guessed it, a racist. And they may throw in misogyny just for good measure, but they will certainly call you a racist because you had the audacity to give a lecture on civil rights as it applied to people of color post-Civil War, which, of course, is an enormously difficult topic for all of us that we all have as Americans in this country, which is our greatest failure was is is and even though in historical time virtually the entire world practiced slavery i mean you show me a culture that didn't uh, there were a few indigenous tribes that did not but i mean yeah i mean you, they, I, it was not unique to this country and let's just put it that way and that doesn't diminish it but the, but the point was is that i 
whereas fair is fair, it took the United States much longer than Britain to abolish slavery, right? People like Wilbur Wilberforce, you know, convinced the Brits. To, so, there, I mean, there, we, there is rightful criticism for how long it took. And this is a debate that we can have. Um, and I am not one of those people like, oh, consider the context. There were people at the time that knew it was wrong. But the point is, is Don, rather than engage in a debate and try to say, well, is that really true? I'm aware of other sources. Or what's your what's your citation for that? What Where are you going with that? Um, is that really true? Instead, pulls the old like, well, you're lecturing me as a person of color on the civil rights of Black people um, post-Civil War and what that meant, what the impact was. And Vivek was like, yeah, I'm telling you these things you apparently don't know things about. So this notion that, and I think it's so corrosive, because most people do not want to be referred to as a racist. That's the worst thing. Again, I would rather be called a racist than a pedophile. That is for sure. But um, but it's pretty close. I mean, when you talk about the circles of hell, um, pedophiles and, and rapists, uh, I, I, rapists of, of women and, and men, um, or uh, also racist people that hate black people or anyone solely on the virtue of the color of their skin. These are some, that's some, one of the worst things you can say. And he's lecturing him. You, you're lecturing me. And then the other thing that he do, and I, and I think this is another thing you see, is that just because you are a person of color, yes, that does give you a unique experience for you to share and that other people who aren't people of color should in good faith listen to in terms of what your experience is, of course. But that does not make you any more qualified uh, an expert on post-Civil War Reconstruction policy as it applied to the right to bear arms, which then Vivek was tending to limit or link to the present day. And by the way, it is still an issue because I think one of the fair critiques of especially white people as it applies to the right to bear arms is, you know, when it's a white person carrying around, it's, it's called a militia. When it's a black person carrying a gun around, I mean, there's a different response. So these are fair critiques. And I think in terms of our inner cities and these sorts of things with gun violence, where these personal rights intersect, public rights, this is a debate that we all need to have. That Don Lemon, who is a journalist who is supposed to give the truth, kind of an opinion journalist, is shutting down the debate and will not allow Vivek to even talk. And that is why I'm talking out now, because I think so many people on the left just take their ball and go home. They will not have a debate. It's like winning out. It's like winning a fight without getting in a ring. And one thing I will say with libertarians and anyone who follows that ideology and Republicans, they are not afraid of a debate. All they're saying is, is let's just let's just talk about this in a civilized society where we don't have to have guns. You know, in, in Colombia for a long time, it was, you know, Pablo Escobar, Escobar. And he persuaded people. He said, plomo, lead, or plata, silver. So either, I'll either kill you or I'll bribe you. That's not going to persuade you. I will not try to win your hearts and minds. What did Nelson Mandela do? He tried to win the hearts and minds of people and revolutionize his country without fighting a shot. The people that have carried out his legacy, I think, have done an exceedingly bad job. But um, but Nelson was onto something, 
And we need to talk about that. So, you know, you talk about, for example, post Nelson Mandela. There are very few things I am critical of Nelson Mandela. Even his early violence, blowing shit up. I think that's the right of every people who is oppressed, right? I mean, to be able to engage in armed conflict, to be able to rule yourselves and engage in self-government. Um, for me, a little too much. But towards the end, he was like, no, the political process, which is what I support. And yet, um, the post-air aspect of South, of South Africa, some has been really good. Some of it has been very bad, right? And so we need to be able to engage and have ideas. In the words of Quato, open your mind. Open your mind, Guado. And yet our college students are not taught that. And people like Don Lemon, he would still have his job if he knew what his purpose was, which is to be an expositor of ideas and keep an open mind. And here, as you kind of juxtapose these two people, um, what is one huge difference with Tucker Carlson and Don Lemon? I'll tell you the biggest difference the giggle. Tucker has this cutest little giggle. When he was a little boy, and he used to wear a bow tie. Can you imagine how many hearts he won, like with parents and grandparents, when he would giggle? He has this contagious giggle. He has a sense of humor. And John Stewart understood this. I mean, lately he's just gotten kind of weird, but like left. It's so much easier to persuade. I wish the college students could understand that. I'm not likely to be persuaded if you show out of my house with a bunch of people with pitchforks, which is what a lot of the left does. I'm not going to be persuaded if you insult my culture, my people, or the color of my skin. I'm a white person living in the United States. And that means I have the right to participate in debate. And I have the right to take positions. And you have the right to respond to those positions. But what's the other basic elementary error that, um, that Don Lemon makes? And I think so many leftists make. I don't know if that ever went to, I don't give a shit if they went to Harvard. They all, they all do this. Is they make a bunch of assumptions about you without knowing any facts about you. That's wrong. I should never assume. Um, and, and, you know, you could say, well, I'm doing the same thing with the left. No, I'm not. I, I, I don't think that there are so many Republicans have no problem with a debate about um, about any particular topic. But like, for example, I'll give I'll give you an example. When I first got involved in Iowa City politics, there was a big issue about whether we should have a jail or not. There were several people who were um, advocates for no jail on the basis of over incarceration, which, of course, is a good debate to have. These people who were, and they were kind of this motley coalition of libertarians and so-called progressives, including uh, a former professor um, who was subsequently passed away. And a lot of them didn't give a shit about talking to any of us who were actually in the criminal justice system. Stuff like, one, well, what are the conditions of the current jail? It's unsanitary, it's unhealthy, and people blew it up while they're there. Number two, what's the cost of having to if someone's committed for sexual abuse in the first degree and they've raped a kid, they're not going to be released. There's a lot of those major felonies and violent crimes. If it's your fourth robbery in 30 days, you're not you're not going to let you out. We got to we got to detain you. We cannot send you to prison uh, prior to a conviction. So we got to put you in this place called a jail. And we also have to punish the repeat out of the offender. There's a lot of there's a lot of needs for jail, and none of them had any desire 
to engage in a debate on that. And this is so true of the left. They, they knew all the answers and were making a lot of factually untrue statements. And so was Don. So, so Don had this in this Vivek uh, discussion. Don essentially felt that he should have a head person, a head start on any discussion involving race because he was black including something as esoteric as Second Amendment policy post-Reconstruction. So if I'm going to talk to you about, you know, non-Euclidean geometry, uh, should I give you a head start because you're Black or Jewish or Chinese or whatever race, I don't know, whatever ethnicity, whatever national origin you have? No! I should evaluate the quality of your ideas. And, you know, one of the things that I loved about law school, guess what they did? When they graded papers, they were all blind. They would just give you a number. And then the professors recorded you on the quality of your work. And yet some on the left now think that even that could be potentially racist. Why? because it doesn't ignore the systemic inequity that someone coming into um, law school may have if you're a person of color. So even that blind process, literally, it's literally colorblind. And that kind of shit can get attacked. Believe it or not, at one point, the bar was all essay. And one of the main reasons why they, I think they've gone over to multiple choice, this was also blind as well. So in other words, they did. They had no, you don't know who takes the test. They just pub published a number of those who didn't pass, and that's it. I think eventually they changed. Why? Because um, they needed to have something that had met the scrutiny. So if they got sued, so if there were disproportionate impacts, they would need to defend themselves in court. And if they're using some national standard, they're less likely to lose because you'd have psychology, all, all these sorts of things. So that is where the left is. They do not believe in debate. Um, people like Don Lemon believe you should have a head start because you're Black if you are engaged in a debate on the experience of Black people. Um, and number two, uh, they don't want to learn any information about the historical experiences of Black person if it comes from someone other than a Black person. So this would preclude, for example, Eric Foner, um, one of the leading reconstruction of scholars at Columbia University. From why, why should we? He's a white guy. We shouldn't listen to him. We shouldn't listen to um, Taylor Branch is a white guy, and he wrote Parting the Waters, one of the best books I've ever read on the civil rights movement. And he knows a shit ton about the, about the civil rights movement. Now, of course, just like every idea, this is totally wrong to say like, I mean, there. by the way, though, here's one thing I am going to say. Yes, of course, white people have a type of blindness to the everyday experience. Like I've talked to people of color um, and, and I'm going to go there and liberals hate this when you say you're a really good black friend. And I don't know if he'll still be my, I hope he remains my good friend after these podcasts, but he talked about regularly walking through Iowa city and he would, he would hear the, um, the cars shut and then he would hear the, um, the locks go like and that, that kind of shit would get old or he would stay with his girlfriend and you know there would be an issue there and um you know so there's just a lot of and the, the department manager would start harassing and that sort of thing so yeah there are of course we need to listen to those experiences but here's the punchline here 
who's the most guilty of this? It, our liberals. They're always lecturing. So one of the things, they cannot lecture black people. Most leading heart liberals know that. But they lecture other white people, which I find the most annoying, about the experiences of people of color, which itself is a form of cultural appropriation. And so this obviously should apply within the left. And of course, we should listen to each other. But here's the other thing about the blindness that white people have about the experiences of people in clever, including seven-figure, 0.1% people like Don Lemon, because that's what he is. So, I mean, he's not, he's not that oppressed. Just saying is that what's the best way to eradicate our blindness that we have? Yes, it's to listen, but if you're boring and you're yelling at us, are we likely to listen? No, but if you're like Tucker Carlson or the equivalent thereof, I mean, I'd love to see a black Tucker Carlson out there. There's a Southern Congressman that I like from Florida. He's kind of this big black guy. I don't know what his name is, but he's fucking awesome. I love him. I think he's better than Tim Scott. He's kind of like, who's that kind of douchebag Republican? Uh, Matt Gertz or Matt, Matt Hartz or Gertz or whatever he is from Florida. Who, who's kind of talented, but he's kind of like one of these, like, know-it-all, like, I've been Republican since, like, he's been two. But yeah, there's a lot of good ones out there. A lot of them support Trump, which, of course, just blows people's minds. They're like, oh, well, how can, how can you support Trump? Because you're not listening. And by the way, you are doing nothing to educate because you don't understand the basic elements of persuasion, which is, one, make your audience feel comfortable. And number two, have a sense of humor. Tucker Carlson, his little giggle, that goes along. I, I like. I could just. I could put on repeat just listening to that giggle that he has and the jokes. And yeah, he gets outraged, but he couples it with a sense of humor, much in the same way that John Stewart did this. So it's not any a right or left. But Tucker is immensely more talented. Um, who knows why he was um, fired? I, I'm not going to hazard a guess as to why until that comes out. Eventually, it will. Um, but but that is the problem of the left, and in particular, a lot of self-righteous Bernie supporters, people like AOC and Ro Khanna. By the way, I like Ro Khanna, I like, because he kind of shares, he's a congressman that kind of likes Bernie out of uh, uh, California. He, he kind of has this like, hey, some of these socially progressive economic models are actually good for business. In other words, if businesses are having to bear a lot of these costs like healthcare um, that we currently, we don't, we don't require businesses. We do in the form of taxes, but we don't make them provide their own roads, right? We don't make them for the most part, teach all their students the ability to read and write. Like the public schools do that. And our, and our public universities, do that, as well as our private universities, but we require them to pay all this money in healthcare, which, which could be assumed by the government at a much more cost-effective rate. So there's there's an argument. And of course, there's responses to that too, right? But that's not, we should have a debate. And Rose struck me as kind of one of these guys like, hey, you know, this might be something that, um, you know, one of these Bernie guys that kind of like actually knows something about business and um, has some experience, unlike AOC. But then he enters this and says, how dare... With Vivek Ramaswamy lecture a person of color about his experience in the civil rights movement. How dare he? And okay, well, okay, then then what we're left with, what if, what if, for example, 
Don Lemon doesn't know a lot about the civil rights movement of post-Civil War Reconstruction. I mean, did, did you know about that? I, I didn't know about that. I didn't know about the Dred Scott, if that was one of the central opinions. Now, whether that's true or not, I'd have to read that opinion. But, you know, Vivek has clearly done his homework. He is going to make an impact. I think he's basically just running to kind of get the attention. He's going to be somewhere in the meeting. He's just too talented not to. But kind of then puts his thumb on the scale and then says, oh, how dare Vivek lecture a person of color. And so if, if that's where we are, uh, unfortunately, what that means is, is we can never have a discussion on race. We can never criticize a person of color. We can never, like if there happens to be a person of color that's committed multiple crimes and they've done it in a group, like in the form of some of the riots, well, we can't hold them accountable either because then we're racist. If we want, you know, the other dog whistle claim is, if you like law and order, you are dog whistle. And yeah, there are some people that like, hey, you know, whatever, but no, I actually like, when I walk down the street, I like being in places where I don't have to worry about having a gun or being assaulted or robbed or anything like that. I, I admit that. Do, do you? Do you like walking down the middle of a dangerous neighborhood where there's no protection? And here's the other just pernicious thing I think about so many Dems and their self-righteousness on criminal justice reform. What about the people that live in the neighborhoods? Don't they have the right to security? Don't they have the right to this? The only way we address these issues, friends, is by having an open and honest debate about these topics in the inner cities and our rural places to let these views be ventilated. And people like Don Lemon, I mean, I'm glad he was fired and I'm glad that CNN is stepping up to basically provide an actual, what they're supposed to do. They're a journalist outfit. They're not an organ of the, they're not supposed to be an organ of the Republican party. And maybe Fox News felt, well, hey, well, maybe we're supposed to be journalists. I, know, I think there were probably some other dynamics that were occurring there, but, but shame on Rokana, because if you're going to step into the into, into the realm of the pathetic, then that's kind of on you. So that's my episode on uh, Tucker and Don, the departing madmen. Um, I hope you found this interesting because I think these are topics that we're all going to have to address. And so far, this podcast has not become popular enough for any personal blowback to come to me. I'm sure eventually it will. Um, if if prepare if if it happens, I'm prepared for that to occur. But hopefully, people reach out. But they'll reach out in a spirit of, "Hey, you said this, and that just turns out to be factually incorrect." Number one. Number two. Have you read any books on this particular topic? I'm, I'm always open to learn. If I have the time, I'm a busy person. But I'm certainly never going to hate someone for disagreeing with me. That is what I want to encourage in the Rocky Cast, and that's why I made more political events because. Really, I think this, there's no escaping this kind of pernicious, lunatic leftism. Uh, you, you can't even hide from it. I don't care how small a town you live in. You cannot hide from it. It's everywhere. It's in our schools. It's in our um, public places. And, if, and you can literally be in your home and all of a sudden have a mob show out at your door. And, um, and then all of a sudden you're attacked. For saying don't enter my house. I, that that is that's what happened in the, those <laughs> St. Louis couple. They're literally at home. A mob shows out their house and they step in uh with they show guns, they did not point any guns, and they got charged with a felony with one of these prosecutors. That's just insane to me. And we should be able to respect. I would never do that to a leftist. I don't care if you're a weak need, you know, whatever. Um I'm going to let you, you need to reside with your family. I'm going to respect that, but I want you to respect mine, 
right? And I guarantee you, if you do that in my house, I'm gonna, I am gonna protect my family. Um, I am not gonna, uh, if I get charged, I get charged. I'm just, I'm just telling you, um, I will defend, uh, and I will not put up with that. So, uh, hopefully you found this discussion, uh, enlightening and hopefully we can continue to grow this, uh, podcast because these are some important topics. And as I said, in one of the previous podcasts as to why I'm going to be doing more political content, you know, on the one hand, trust me, I get that. I mean, in in some respects, political commentary and political polemics is kind of like Don Quixote. I mean, who am I to change the world? Um, who am I to persuade people and actually change the trajectory of a, of a political movement or who's going to matter, who's going to be persuaded? So that is why I avoided it for so long, because I was acutely aware that if you're Get engaged in politics. The first question to ask yourself is, do you have your own shit together? That's why I did this kind of deep dive into stoicism, because I'm like, look, if I'm 300 pounds out of shape and don't know what the fuck's going on with my own body and my own finances and my own, you know, lifestyle, uh, I need I need to get that in order first. And I'm not going to spend all this emotional energy in politics um, on something that I, that I can't control, right? So um, I kind of retreated. And then at some point it occurred to me that I was like, you know what? I am going to stand out and I'm going to start fighting again because it, it occurred to me that my desire to retreat was a form of cowardice on my part. I did not want to be called a racist. I still don't, by the way. I mean, if, if you say that to me or about me, I'm going to tell it to me to my face because I would protect the rights of people of color at the point of the bayonet. Absolutely. I would give my life for for that principle. And that's not hyperbole or anything like that. That is because some of the deepest, most meaningful uh, experiences that I've ever had in my professional career and private life have involved people of color. African-Americans, people from Africa. Um, I will gladly defend their rights to the point of a bayonet. But what I will not do is I will not refrain from critiquing any people who happen to be people of color or LGBTQ or Asian American or indigenous because they happen to be a member of any one of those groups. If they do something that I don't like, I will criticize them. If they espouse an idea that I don't like, I will respond. If there's a person who's white who... Position I really like, I will like them, but I will also ruthlessly criticize them. The point is, is I will not refrain from commentary based upon the color of your skin. And I know we're not supposed to say that today, but I am colorblind. I am co- I'm colorblind in the right sense, not in the wrong sense. I'm colorblind in the sense that I, um, you know, you can't develop public policy on the basis of the color of people's skin. But obviously, I'm not colorblind in the best sense of the word. Is that we live in this sort of multicolored tapestry in the United States. And obviously there are rich strands and threads that are part of this tapestry that involve people of color and the LGBTQ community, this true rainbow coalition in its truest sense. But because I love those communities so much, I'm also gonna subject them to ruthless criticism when one of their members says something really dumbass, including Don Lemon, who's gay and black. And his attack on Vivek Ramaswamy was wrong 
And Roe apparently felt uh, okay attacking Vivek because Roe also is an Indian American. So that just gets into like the only people you can critique, white people can only critique white people. Black people can only critique enough. And people like Tucker Carlson and, um, you know, Rush Limbaugh when he was there, Donald Trump, they don't give a fuck what liberals think of them um, because they're independently, they're, they're strong, they're purpose-driven. And related to what I was saying, I am not going to be a coward anymore, and I am going to speak out that my retreat into stoicism was itself a form of cowardice on my part. If you decide to stay silent and you don't want to speak out, um, it's up to you. But I invite you to stand up for yourself, defend your beliefs, and more importantly, to advance your beliefs. But do it respectfully. Do it with a smile on your face and celebrate and cherish every day that you have that you were born in one of the greatest countries in the world, in world history, the United States of America. And yeah, I am going to be a cheerleader for this country, its people, and its institutions. And I will defend those via the Rockney cast um, and all other uh, ways in which we can defend this great and wonderful country that we have, the United States of America. So um, my next episode is going to be on the Ukraine conflict. And it's not going to necessarily be anything new, but it's going to be for the purpose of articulating precisely what my position is because I have a friend who's going to be visiting with me this weekend who I will not name because I want to keep his privacy. Um, but I'm going to state precisely what my position is and precisely what it is not. So, so we can have that so we don't have to engage in a lot of like back and forth about things that I don't actually believe. Right. Uh, and there's probably going to be some beer flowing, so that's going to be a really good topic. But here's the punchline for you all listening to the Rocky Cast. I am going to do a follow-up. Um, I am going to try to keep an open mind. I'm going to be like a juror. I'm going to try to keep an open mind uh, to my friend and really try to consider his ideas rather than have them discarded. So for once, I'm actually going to try to listen. And I am going to do a Rockney Cast afterwards to, to determine whether any of my ideas had changed. Um, and so we'll see, but I, I, as far as I can tell, um, you know, I, I'm going to keep it on the mind and I will hopefully find that interesting. So Rockney cast listeners, here we are. This is a long one, but it was a good one. And certainly if you are here this far, by all means, spread the word, hit link, hit like, I think, I think I'm going to get a sponsorship from Ocean t-shirt company which yeah, it's kind of, I might be behind the Ocean t-shirt company, but in any event, it's going to sponsor this show. You guys are going to like it. You're going to like it good. You're going to like it. I'm also going to offer a prognostication on who the next Tucker Carlson is going to be. I think I know who it's going to be. And I'll probably be wrong, but I think, I think, I think I know who it is. And I think that person is hiding in plain sight. And we're going to continue to grow this tiny but mighty audience on the Rocky cast. Motherfuckers, I think I'm getting good at this. Uh, I think you're having fun. You're liking it. You're like, oh, my God, this is really good. I'm going to start tuning in. And maybe once you'll start actually sharing it and selling this damn thing so we can build this audience. Maybe I should bribe you. For each new listener of the Rocky cast to get a free Ocean t-shirt or something like that. I'll bribe. If you can get 10 members to like hit subscribe. 
I, well, I, maybe I shouldn't because then I'll get a contract claim against me. So maybe I shouldn't do that. But I, I may reward. I may reward you if you support the Rockney cast. I may, I may give you a gift. It will not be in connection for your services, but at a time of my choosing, I may give it to you. And for you dumb shit ways out there that would like to bring a class action lawsuit against the Rockney cast, this is hyperbole and this is not a, a, a serious offer that you cannot refuse. So we are going to tune out because I got to freaking pay the bills and uh, get this get this, get this, this show on the road, as it were. Continue to tune in to high-quality episodes of the Rocky Cast. And infinite gratitude to each and every one of you, mostly dudes and women who love you, uh, and the Rocky Cast. And so, friends, next until next time, you and, and I see each other um, on the Rocky Cast.